I'm Michael Malley, and this is The Mindful Storyteller, where the subject always is stories. Storytelling, story reading, story listening, mindfulness, and the creation of the story space. Hello again, welcome to another episode of The Mindful Storyteller, and I'm Michael R. Malley. And I'm Ollie Wren Erickson Malley. And we are here to talk about stories and storytelling, story listening, mindfulness, and today we're going to delve a little more deeper into story reading. And... Um, we will have the mindfulness bell, as we always do, and the sound of the bell is an invitation. It's an invite for you to just be present and enjoy. You also might hear the sounds if I hear a plane above or right near a railroad tracks. You might hear trains going by as well, but uh, enjoy all the sounds. Enjoy all the moments. So we'll have the bell. I'll do a short reading from Mr. John O'Donohue, and then I'll do a reading, and we'll have a little chat, and then I'll do the closing thoughts and further suggestions. Here's the bell. Reading brings the presence of other times, characters, and cultures into your mind. Reading is an intimate event. John O'Donohue, Eternal Echoes, page 55. What happens when we read deeply, when we truly enter the story that we are reading? In a little book that we can toss into our purse or pull up on our phone, there may dwell peoples, kingdoms, kindnesses and treacheries, vast worlds of good and harm, dreams, muddled intentions, complexities, inconsistencies, life and breath and death. This entering into can happen to the writer of the story as well as the reader. In the oral tradition, we can also enter into story as listeners or tellers. With deep listening, we are no longer in the room with other listeners and the storyteller. We transmigrate. At such moments, we have crossed over into story. Such is the transmigration of soul. We go with the story through the reading into spaces that appear smaller, yet they are cavernous. More than being caverns, the stories, imagined, read, written, told, and heard, lead us through caverns 
and out into the light of other lands, other times, other peoples. Have you, as you are nearing the end of a novel, had that experience of impending longing, that feeling of, oh no, soon, too soon, all these people, all these characters, all these places will be leaving me, or I will be leaving them. I will miss them. I do not want our time together to end. If you know something of this feeling of impending loss, then you know something of what we did as young children when we passed into the light of imaginary worlds in our pretend play behind the couch or in that cozy corner of the living room. If you have experienced this longing of not wanting the novel's characters to depart from your life, then you hold familiarity with a great facet of the storytelling gem. You have some knowledge of story and the transmigration of the soul. Yeah, I've certainly had that experience of uh, not wanting a story to end. I, I mean, it probably happens more frequently than not with really? any chapter, any mm -hmm. book I'm reading that I, I kind of slow down when I get to the end because <laughs> I don't, I don't want it to be over. Right. Um, yeah, I've definitely felt that. What does it mean to you when you don't want it to be over? What? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to leave this world mm. that I've been going to. I read mostly in the evenings right before bed, um, and yeah, I'll be in a world for a month, a couple weeks or a month, however long it takes me to read a book, mm. and if I really like that world, I usually don't, don't want it to end. And since we homeschool, I do a lot, I, I, I'm reading a lot, many, many evenings, and I've been reading classic stories, which... You know, when I was in high school, I was not good at doing my homework and not, <laughs> I feel a little guilty, but I, I couldn't get into a lot of the books that now I love. Um, I've gone through, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and The Grapes of Wrath, just read my Antonia. Right. Um, and then I get to discuss these with uh, kids that are usually pretty excited about discussing them, which is <laughs> quite a privilege. Um, but all of those books, just all three of those, grabbed me so powerfully. And uh, I loved being in the stories, even though, you know, like The Grapes of Wrath, what a sad, sad story. Right. But so beautifully told. Well, you know, it's almost, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of what you're doing with the kiddos there, almost like a book club where you're each individually kind of going into your inner worlds, your imaginative worlds through the reading. But then when you come together and you share... You know, you share your perspective or your knowledge or your reflections on that, and uh, that's that sounds really really neat. Um, the the story I have shared a few times is uh, I remember I I didn't read a lot as a kid either, and even you know I was pretty um, I was a pretty committed student when I was an undergrad. But that was committed to whatever text we had to read. And so there wasn't a lot of extra time for just, you know, reading novels for pleasure and that sort of thing. So it was 
really when I was in my mid-twenties that I started reading more just kind of novels for pleasure and and and, and I, I, I don't know, more than for pleasure, just kind of that gravitating towards, you know, stories that I hadn't delved into before. And uh, I, I really developed a fondness that I still have for like the Victorian novels, like the Bronte sisters and that. And I was reading, um, it may have been Wuthering Heights uh, when I was in my mid to late 20s living in Boston. And, you know, one night I'm sitting there and I'm, I, I, had, I had made myself a uh, uh, you know, a cup of hot tea, and I had cookies, and it was it was snowing outside. And it's like what you know, eleven o'clock at night, and the house is kind of dimly lit. I might have even lit a candle just to kind of create the mood for myself. And I had a little lamp there, and I'm reading this 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 story, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and I remember it was so jarring that the phone rang because I was I had completely entered into this world of, I can't remember the exact years there, if it was like the 1830s or 1840s, and of course there were no phones there. And then I was like brought back to my apartment in Boston. And just, for me, there's something, my gosh, I can, I don't know if it's more so, but, but, but there's something about taking these stories from past times and thinking of, like, you know, Emily Bronte or Charlotte Bronte, and they, you know, these young women who were just amazing artists with their pens, and they've been gone for such a long time, and that there's, there's no one from that period. There's no one who can report to us what, you know, what they saw, what they experienced, and yet here, here I get to hear the reflections of, of, of this particular author. I get to enter into a story where there's all the dynamics of different characters and different wants and um, problems and all of that. And it just, it's so lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is so lovely. That, well, in My Antonia that we just read, so it was written in like 1915, sometime around then, um, but talking about the late 1800s mm -hmm. and about the migration to the prairie and about life and it's, it really gives you a sense of life then. And I re I, what I really like about it, I've read the Little House on the Prairie books, which we could talk about. I've loved, loved those. We read those with our older daughter, read them again with um, our younger children. And I've tried to read it almost a third time to our youngest child and probably will read them to our grandchildren soon. Lo I would love those stories. And they, they, they take you into that prairie time. But this Maya Tania that we're reading now is really taking us into um, a different version of the prairie, a little less idyllic, but still very intriguing to me. And one of the things that's really intriguing is thinking about this this woman wrote it, Willa Cather. Um, I think that's Will, Willa Cather. Cather, probably Cather. And she, you know, very strong feminist, I think, in the early 1900s. And in just her perspectives, that we're getting these little perspectives on life and um, actually thoughts about immigration at the time or thoughts about wow. women yeah. from this person that was alive in the early 1900s and like their perspective coming out in this story. And so my daughter and I, who's, who's also reading it, have been discussing that. Like, like you kind of sense she, she has some kind of a little bit of a 
she's sharing a little bit the secret of, of what life was like back then and, and somewhat of how not different it is than today. And I feel very pr privileged. Yeah. And our daughter, who is 16 at the time, like what a gift for her to, to get that perspective, right? Right. Yeah. To get yeah. the perspective, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think of, too, um, um, some series that I've read recently with, uh, with our, our, our son, who's now 12. And we read um, the woman, I forget her name, who wrote The Saturdays. And she wrote a whole series of, of books. And then um, those were written in, like, the 1940s, I think, or early mm -hmm. 50s. And then we were reading the... Um, um, the Penderwicks, which is written right now, uh, I think the series is still being written, um, or, or reading uh, Lloyd Alexander's series about the Chronicles of Prydain that was written in the 1960s. And maybe it's even more so with those series because you get to know those characters so well and then, oh my gosh, to let them go. And, and they, they bring a mood upon you, mm -hmm. right? Like there's something that happens with that writing, and, and the same thing can happen with storytelling and story listening, right? There, that, that, that they can kind of create a space or a mood in the room that is uh, uh, powerful. And, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this too. It's like what kind of seeds are being watered by the stories that we take in. Mm. So is it watering something beneficial? It doesn't always have to be, you know, um, all, you know, positive and you know mm -hmm. but but is it ultimately beneficial you know is it ultimately you know maybe opening up our perspectives on a different time or other peoples or uh, opening us to problems that have occurred in the past or or opening us to sort of just like the you know rich and caring relationships or the complexity of relationships so all of that happens and and I think again it's one of these strange gifts of story um, that, you know, how odd, right? That we will miss these characters. <laughs> you know, I, I, about a year ago, I was reading Henry James, The Europeans, and oh my gosh, I didn't want it to end. Like, oh, I'm going to miss these characters. <laughs> I'm going to miss these people. And how very strange. And yet, you know, as you said, Ollie, I mean, I think it's an experience of so many of us. And it, it does relate something about the, the depth and importance of story in our lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there particular novels or stories where you have connected deeply to place or characters? With what books, if any, have you had that experience of impending longing as you neared the end? If it has been years since reading one of those novels, why not go back to the story and meet those friends again by rereading the text? Who else might you want to introduce to those characters? Would you like to talk about your experiences with those characters with others who have also read the book? Or do you want to hold that experience close and keep it private? Would you like to share with the author your appreciation and connection with the characters in the, their story? If the author is alive, why not write to them? If they have died, why not, why not write to them anyway and pour forth what their sharing of story has meant to you?
I'm Michael Malley, and you've been listening to the Mindful Storyteller.